So often, it's hard for us, Filipinos, to find ourselves represented in the things we enjoy most. I guess that stands true as well for other minorities, especially in the United States. A friend, shout out Super Mickey, once called us the Mexicans of Asia. And complexion and Spanish-sounding last names included, I guess there's a lot of commonalities that a Mexican guy my age and myself can find. I mean, there's no Ramos in the NBA, no famous Ramos in the blockbuster Hollywood movies and TV shows. I mean, even if you go past race and ethnicities, it was always hard to find quote-unquote regular dudes do well in the journalistic side of major sports or entertainment. Everyone we grew up with was polished, fancy school educated, or a retired athlete talking about the games we all loved, or a monocle-owning movie critic who never seemed to like anything. It was so hard, whether it was sports or entertainment, or the people covering those things to find representation. And then, Shea Serrano came along. A former teacher who lies about his height, is proud of his roots, and almost always wears the same black t-shirt to the grocery store or to a TV interview. He wrote using words we said. He laughed at the shallow things we all laughed at. Above all things, he was quick to love something. The boring spurs a slapstick sitcom, a sappy movie, even if the culturally woke didn't find those things sophisticated enough for their palate. Here is a man who enjoys action movies because action movies are fun, who champions women's hoops because it's incredibly entertaining to watch, who once wrote a whole chapter asking who's in the Regina George circle of friends. Here is a man whose values are as unshakable as he is loud with them, and has mobilized what The Verge has called a Twitter utopia, the FOH Army, to donate hundreds of thousands of dollars on the regular to people who need it the most. Shea Serrano is sincere, like Pam Beasley, hilarious like Mike Scott, charming like Jim Halpert, and in his own words, gets the job done, just like Dwight Schrute. All this to say, is Shea Serrano my hero? Well, no. My hero is Han from Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, but Shay's in my top five, I guess. My name is Nico Ramos. Welcome to the Call to Arms podcast. Something going on around the island. Money flowing wherever I've been promised. Just another vacuum in the tropics. Taking over, trying to stop this novice. Make it kill it. I'm finna conquer. I'm a dreamer. The floor is lava. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the most important podcast we've ever done. Um, we're, we're bringing in a guest that when we started this podcast, to be honest, it, it was it was uh, at the top of our list uh, of guys who we wish would would eventually notice our tweet because of just the immense um, number of the FOH army out there. And you know, sure enough, he did, and and he's granting us some time. Standing at north of six feet, don't anybody ask. That's just the truth. <laughs> don't try to confirm or deny it. Um, Juan Huick himself, the Mexican Matt Saracen, multiple time New York Times bestselling author, Shay Serrano. Shay, thanks for making time. What's going on, man? That was a very good introduction. Thank you. I, I, I try my best. I, I've been preparing for it. B- before we get into the uh, hardcore journalistic uh, serious stuff, I just wanted to make sure that the goat, boy A, boy B, and the baby are all doing okay. Yeah, Laramie's good, the boys, the twins, the baby, they're all, you know, everybody's safe and healthy right now, so we're, we're straight. 
we've kind of uh, outed ourselves on on Twitter. We we look all you know professional now. You with your plain background, we me with my mess behind me. But everybody now knows that we're just doing this on top of some foldable table uh, table <laughs> <laughs> foldable tables and on top of books and shoe boxes and stuff like that. We we we, we really honest to God, we ain't, we ain't crap. <laughs> we're just gonna we're just patching it together. That's all you can do. I really appreciate you doing this. I, I lured you in um, because of our common love for for the show, The Office, and and we'll get to we'll get to that in a second. But you know, you have a very very strong following and fan base here in the Philippines, as I'm I'm sure you know everywhere else in in the world. But you know, I want to start off with a significant meeting I had with a good friend? Question mark of yours, um, Arturo Torres, who's responsible for the artwork here in the back. He came over to the Philippines a couple of years ago for uh, a Nike event. He painted um, incredible work on, on courts mm-hmm. here with his, with his artwork. And, you know, it was my, it was a, a big opportunity for me being a fan of the both of you to get my book signed, meet him. And we actually kicked it and spent like uh, about an hour and a half just off to the side together. You know, he was kind of getting shy, avoiding the crowd. And let me tell you, in that hour and a half, he had not one good thing to say about you. <laughs> Told sounds, me to find a new role that model. sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. Uh, Arturo is, he's a sweetheart. He's a jerk, but also a sweetheart. Really a super talented artist. I think probably the best working artist in America today, uh, I would argue, which is why whenever I do a thing, he's like, he's the first phone call that I make. Uh, but yeah, he, he's an asshole. <laughs> I have a lot of his work. Um, the, the Jim Halpert um, AI slam cover is, is here. That's near and dear to my heart, uh, obviously because of Slam Philippines here. But also I have a Serena Williams one outside and a couple of other ones framed up. But what, what, what has been your favorite collaboration with him? And what, what do those phone calls or those text messages look like? Usually when we first started our sort of working relationship, I kept trying to like, I kept trying to reel him in and be like, I need you to do this or only do this or only do that. And it just, it didn't work out as well as when I would just go like, I just need you to make a cool thing. Right. Like sometimes, sometimes I'll have a very specific idea that I need. And he can do that. Like the, the Jim Halpert thing. When we, were, when we were writing about The Office, it was like, oh, like he's a Philly fan. And there's this iconic slam cover. And we're doing it. It's like it's, we're writing about the basketball episode. Like this all fits together. So every once in a while that will happen. But usually it's just like, hey, I just, just draw me a cool thing with Scottie Pippen. And he's like, all right, I got you. And then he disappears for a few days. And he shows up and, and they, it's very much like the relationship between Greg Popovich and Manu Ginobili, where he was always talking about like he would go crazy if he tried to control them. So he just had to fall back and let him do what he does. Like that's what I have to do with Arthur. He's just, he's too talented for you to like, you don't think the same way that he does. He, he could do what he needs to do. You know what I'm, uh, I'm glad that you, you brought up um, Greg Popovich and, and your San Antonio Spurs. Uh, this is something that I didn't have on the docket. I didn't have it on the log of things I wanted to talk about with you because there's a lot of things I want to talk about with you. But uh, and maybe you're familiar with this experience. But my my real life boss, not my employer, but my fiance, um, told me was actually very firm about it and um, told me to make sure that I communicate to you that now and even into our marriage, my Laker fandom will not be. Um, transferred into matrimony and that her Spurs fandom, <laughs> the fact that she's a San Antonio Spurs fan, w- there's not a lot of them here in the Philippines, will continue and will get even richer 
Um, and then I told her, you know, there's a chance here that me and Shay end up being best friends after this podcast. And then she said, Mm-mm, not as good no, as me not, and him because we're yeah. both Spurs fans. I already like her more than I like you. Honestly. <laughs> I haven't met her yet, but yeah, I like her better. better. <laughs> so I, I, so I have this story to tell you and then may, maybe you could confirm or deny if this is an accurate representation of uh, the city of San Antonio that you love. Um, I have it right here. So these are actual media passes that we had. Um, the seventeen eighteen season, we flew out to San Antonio for a day, a day. So from the Philippines, we 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 were um, visiting the United States on on a trip, and then we go to San Antonio just for a day to watch the Spurs play. Um, and it was when every everybody was still there. Manu and Tim hadn't retired yet, um, and um, Tony Parker hadn't decided that he wanted to be a Charlotte Hornet yet. Um, and they were playing the Lakers, and it was, I truly felt like home. Um, there are people who say that Filipinos are the Mexicans of Asia. Uh, and yeah. I've, ne- I've never really confirmed that until when I was in San Antonio because, and I'm not saying this to gas you up, but this is the collection of probably just the nicest, most pleasant people I've ever been around all living in the same place. Yeah, Mexicans are super friendly, super duper friendly. And sadly, there's also like a very big Laker contingent in San Antonio. So whenever the Lakers come, they're very loud at the stadium, and it's pretty sucky. It's pretty, pretty sucky. Well, my, well, my experience was, was this, and then maybe you, you'll – because the Lakers won that game. Lonzo hit four threes in the fourth quarter. I'd never seen him do that before. Um, but maybe you'll forgive me for bringing that up if I tell you this experience. I went there with my, my girlfriend at the time. We weren't engaged yet. And um, her dad, my would-be father-in-law, both of them diehard Spurs fans, and I'm sitting there in a crowd of just all of these Spurs fans. And I'm trying to keep it cool because I don't want to disrespect the man, you know, because this is his team. It's his dream. His hero is Manu Ginobili. He's finally watching him. And then by the time Lonzo hits like maybe the third three in the fourth quarter, I forget. And then I stand up and I'm just like <laughs> cheering. And I get death stares from everybody around me, including my would-be father-in-law. My would-be fiance is looking at me, kind of like telling me to sit down. And then the only two Laker fans in front of me who I thought were going to give me, you know, some love for this. I tried high-fiving them. They wouldn't because they were talking shit about Lonzo the entire game. <laughs> and they didn't want him to do well. So all in all, while San Antonio was great food, great people, a Laker win, wasn't my favorite experience. No, yeah. You deserve all of the terrible things that happened to you at a Lakers-Spurs game. Like, I don't, I don't feel... I don't feel sorry for you a one single percent when you're telling me this story. Now, as a writer, as someone who tries to identify with that profession as well, you've kind of raised the bar for, for people who aren't necessarily writers the way we thought of writers when we were growing up. Um, when, when you were kind of getting started with, with your writing career, did you always have, you know, what, what is now this trademark Shay voice where it, it seems like you're just you're just talking to a person you, you I actually hear you speak even before I knew what your voice sounded like I always felt like uh, you know it was a conversational tone with people Did you get any pushback um, when you were starting out writing that way yeah nobody knows how they how they're supposed to write when they start I'm, I'm I can't say nobody I'm sure like a few people few are just uh, naturally talented writers go into it knowing what they're going to sound like or what they want to accomplish. I, I didn't. I never thought this was going to be a thing that I was going to do for a living. I was just trying to make some extra money. So what I was doing was 
reading different people and then just like basically copying their style. And you do that enough times to where you just like feel a little more comfortable in the game. And then eventually you figure out like this, I can't, I can't be a better version of this person. Like this person is always going to be better. So it doesn't benefit me to like try to keep copying this person's style. Uh, so that's when you sort of start to develop your, your own thing. And, and usually once you figure that out, that's when things start to sort of break your way. What was the response from some of your, your, your students? You, you taught math, if I'm not mistaken, right? Science. Um, science, science. Sorry. Yeah. You, you taught, you, I knew it was one of the hard ones. Um, but, but you taught science and I cannot for the life of me, imagine my, my grade school science teacher going on to become, you know, actually really funny and, you know, uh, an, <laughs> an incredible writer. Maybe that's a yeah. reflection of the teachers I've had, but w- w- how do they, how do they react to this? At the time, nobody had any idea. I was not, I was not like mixing those two worlds together. You know, I go to school and I teach and then I coach and then I go home and I write and they're very, they're, they're separate things. It wasn't until I did it. I actually did a thing with ESPN one time, similar to this. It was like, you know, we're going to do a video interview. And apparently if you had like a PlayStation 3 at the time, there was like an ESPN app and it would like load stuff on the home screen. And one of my football players saw the, the interview that I had done. It was on that screen. And he was like, oh, man, that's, that was the first time anybody had mentioned it to me. But this was like, you know, three or four years into the, into the process. After the fact, I've had students like find me on Twitter or like show up to book signings and shit like that. That's always really cool to see them all grown up and, and, and old now. But, yeah, I, I was very like conscious about not, uh, you know, I, when I was at work to teach, I was there to teach. I wasn't there to talk about other shit. And, you know, you're, you're following on Twitter. I'm not even comfortable calling it a following anymore. Um, and by it, I mean people like me, like-minded, <laughs> like-hearted, pe- people like myself who are part of the, the FOH Army. Oh, what was a moment when, when you realized, well, you know, okay, wait, this, this is more than just a couple of people on Twitter who find me funny. We're, we're now raising ridiculous amounts of money in you know, and a ridiculous amount of time for disaster relief. Uh, you know, we're, we're all bonding together for all these different causes that you champion. You've recently, and this is of all the things that you've done, um, and, and, and I know we're just now actually officially meeting, but the one thing I've been so proud um, of you that you've done, and, you know, I couldn't possibly be prouder of you for anything else, was when you essentially rigged a popularity contest for your niece who's a track and field athlete (laughs) the other day she was down (laughs) she was down what like a thousand votes you tweet by the time i vote which is and i checked 48 minutes since you tweeted i voted and by that time she was already ahead by like three thousand votes just pulling away (laughs) yeah she's uh she's super sweet um my little niece who lives in houston and she runs track and she's very talented and like plays instruments and is a, you know she's in the band she's on a swim team she's on the track team she's like a like a nationally ranked track runner she got a full paid scholarship to run track this was her senior year it all sort of got upended by coronavirus uh, but yeah like her her mom hit me up and she's like hey ariel is in this thing and she's losing can you help and, and like, you're like it's on <laughs> why would i why would i not yeah i think the contest ends tomorrow uh, or thursday but it's a wrap now right yeah, yeah, I'll make, I, I will try to make sure that she went, you know, you never know what's going to happen, but I had to do that. 
Well, well, you never know. I'm, I'm sure some of her teammates didn't know that, you know, Ariel's uncle was Shea Serrano. But we also don't know. One of those other runners might be, I don't know, Justin Bieber's second cousin. Um, and then yeah, you never know. It's Kyle Lowry as, an, as, as a starter in the All-Star game all over again. <laughs> Kyle Lowry is great. I don't know why people were talking shit about Kyle Lowry. I love Kyle Lowry. I met you Kyle Lowry. I met Kyle Lowry. to take a charge in an All-Star game. <laughs> Kyle Lowry is the first phone call you make. I, I met Kyle Lowry and someone was talking smack to him about how he had a big ass. And then <laughs> he was warming up and someone was just, someone just yelled. And it wasn't from like, you know, third row or fourth row. Someone yelled. It was during warmups from like the upper bowl and you could hear it. Kyle Lowry, you got a big ass. And then Kyle Lowry looked up, found the guy immediately and then shot back. I see you looking at it though. yeah Kyle Lowry is great just as it is he seems like somebody who would be fun to hang out with a lot of NBA players I'm like I don't want to hang out with that person Kyle Lowry I would hang out with Kyle Lowry um before we get to the the whole office bit which is what I what I what I promise uh I can't have you on here without talking a little hoops what's your take on what they're planning to do to resume the season um, I, I think it goes without saying, if they can guarantee safety for, for everybody involved in health, we'd all love for the NBA to be back. But, and I hate to bring this up to you, Shay, but I mean, just, I'm, I'm reading facts here. Um, the Spurs are currently 12th in, in the West, four Correct. full games behind the eighth seed. They're talking about a possible play-in tournament to get to some of those uh, seven or eight seeds somewhere. What's, what's, your, what's your mood about that? What's your uh, excitement level for, for the Spurs in a play-in tournament like that? You win four or five straight games in a row. You never know you're in the playoffs and now you're in business. Yeah, I, assuming they could guarantee safety, which obviously they can't, but assuming they could, yeah, start it up. Let's go nuts. Let's see what happens. I, I, like, the, I like the Spurs' chances of getting into the playoffs that way more than I would have liked if we were just finishing out the season. Mm-hmm. Like all we have to do is get hot for a little bit and we're in get, you know, we, I, I, I like that better than like, we're going to play the last 20 games or whatever it was. Um, but again, I don't, there's, there's no way to make this like a safe thing. Somebody is going to get sick at some point and then we're all going to just be like, why did we do that? Why were we pressing for that? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't know. And, and it's a little ironic too, right? Because th- they'd all be like stuck in Disneyland, which is kind of like some twisted bad sequel to Zombieland somewhere <laughs> where <laughs> you, you yeah. got sick people quarantined in, in a theme park, which is supposed to be Disney World rather, where it's supposed to be the happiest place on earth. But it, it, instead you get sad LaMarcus Aldridge there who can't go out of his room because they're trying to contain it. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, if the players want to play and everything seems like, okay, go for it. If not... If they're hesitant, I think really the owners should just be like, you know, we're going to pay everybody and we'll just pick it up next season. We're not going to worry about that. I mean, all of these owners are fucking worth billions of dollars, literally billions of dollars. You can afford this. Yeah, you, you, you can afford to wait, wait a couple months. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not, though, someone you could trust with my opinion on this because I, I feel like this is a championship season for the Lakers. And <laughs> I, I, know, I know that's super petty. And I know that's not something I should say out loud because people's lives are on the line here. But, you know, I, I, I'm, I was hoping that you would be one person who would maybe kind of, kind of at least see where I was coming from. We got, we got a decent shot here. I mean, you, yeah, I do have a, you, you do have a good us, shot. Right? Yeah, I'm coming from the other way where it's like if the season gets canceled, 
the Spurs streak of playoffs. I knew it. It's it's intact. We're good. So let me, you know, let me do that. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. The, the fiance, the fiance asked me that like about two weeks into the cancellation of the season. She was like, "Hey, if there's no playoffs, if there's no playoffs to be played, then there's no playoffs for us to miss, right?" She's she's exactly correct. Again, she's better at this than you are. Bring her in and let let just you know let us talk about the Spurs for forty um, minutes. I'm losing control of this. <laughs> All right, okay. What I brought you here to do in the first place is a sub pod that we have here on the feed. We call it Pilot Program. Um, it's and I know what I know what you're gonna say. It sounds like one of those things where you came up with a name first before you figured out what it was gonna be about. You're absolutely mm-hmm. correct. We came up with Pilot Program and we thought it'd be a good way to relive, um, revisit. And yes, this is an absolute ripoff of Villains and the Rewatchables. So I'm not even trying to hide it from you. Rewatch the pilot episode of some of our favorite shows. The most mm-hmm. requested one out of everything we've, out of everyone who's ever uh, suggested anything is The Office. So I figured yeah. why not bring in the author of Conference Room 5 Minutes to do uh, the pilot program for The Office. So here we go. The Office First aired, the pilot aired March 24th, 2005. 2005? That's crazy. Um, here's how ever-reliable Wikipedia describes the, pilot, uh, the plot. When a documentary crew arrives at the office, manager Michael Scott attempts to paint a rosy picture but fails after learning the company will be downsizing. Stars Steve Carell as Michael Scott, John Krasinski as Jim Halpert, Jenna Fisher as Pam Beasley, Rain Wilson as Dwight Schrute, and a bunch of other wonderful people playing wonderful roles. First aired in the U.S. on NBC. In the Philippines, you can find it on Amazon Prime. Lasted all of 201 episodes across nine seasons. Too many awards to mention that they've won. And too many awards to mention that they didn't win, which I'm still trying to figure out how to, how to appeal for and how to file a protest against. Because the fact that they didn't win every year, still an absolute crime. All right, here we go. We start off with a bonus question. Does this show have opening credits or not? I hate opening credits. I feel like it's an absolute waste of time for like mm-hmm. shows. The reason the skip intro button was, was invented was because no one wants to watch that. So 99 times out of 100, I hate opening credits. So it gets bonus points if it completely skips that. There are some of those shows now that don't have opening credits at all. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, the, the, office, the, the office, office I like. Is good. The office one is, is, is good. Like the skip intro is for like, Mad Men or Game of Thrones, where it's like a minute and a half right. of just like fucking music and a guy falling down, or we're seeing the <laughs> map or whatever. With The Office, they jump in and they jump out. Like they, they they're very efficient in there. I so like appa- the, I like those. So apparently, some of the season one um, shots that they use for the opening intro actually shot by John Krasinski riding yeah. his jeep with his friend after he got cast as Jim Halpert. More on that later. Um, since it's a pilot program, we run it through a couple of tests. You're a teacher. You'll appreciate this. The first test is the Seinfeld test. Does the pilot have a really good elevator pitch? Or could you sell the show well in one sentence or less to other people? How did you convince other people to get on the show? Uh, you can, you, yeah, this one is an easy, it's an easy sell. It's like a, it's a mockumentary about a, a paper supply seller in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Like. It sounds bad. But also, <laughs> I was just about to say, you know what I'm if saying? I hadn't seen the show yet, if that's how yeah. you pitch it to me. I'm like, mm. I think you need, I think you need two sentences. I think you need that one to say what it is. And then you need to be like, remember the movie office space. It's like mm-hmm. that, but 200 episodes. Right. And then people, 
oh, like you immediately understand the sort of humor that it is. Because when this show came out, this, this was very much like the opposite of what a lot of the TV shows were. Everybody talks about, like you mentioned Seinfeld, for example. You go back and you watch Seinfeld, and it's clearly dated. And they're still doing, they, they have the laugh track. And the laugh track. Everybody, everybody forgets about uh, the, the, you know, whatever. With The Office, though, this was, like a, this was like at the very beginning of what modern television looks like. So it's easy to go back even, you know, this is 15 years later. You can go back and watch it, and it doesn't feel 100 years old like a lot of the other TV shows do. Um, uh, but yeah, you I, need those two sentences. I, I forgot to ask. Um, were you on from pilot episode? onwards like were no. you on your tv april sorry march 24th 2005 and when did you get in no laramie and i didn't start watching it until the until the later seasons there was like a a, a period where nbc had like three or four shows in a row that we really liked it was like the office parks and rec um and it, it, two other ones i can't i can't recall exactly what they were right now um but that's when we started watching. It was uh, the later seasons. And then when it showed up on Netflix, that's when we like, oh, let's, you know, there are a bunch of episodes we have not seen yet. Let's go back and, and watch these ones. It's really funny to go back and watch the pilot episode after you've gone through like the whole back end of the series because everybody looks so different. The bones are there. Absolutely, right. <laughs> the bones are there. But Steve Carell is like a, a, a different character. He has a total different presentation. Uh, the relationships are, are, are not all the way fully formed yet. They haven't figured out exactly who they are probably until like the midpoint of season two. And then season three is like incredible. Um, but, but yeah, the, it's, it's a, it's a fun show to watch because you can go back and be like, Oh, I like this. This is like what modern TV looks like now. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I was trying to figure out a way where to bring that up through the test, but the hair for Steve Carell um, yeah. on, on this pilot episode I can't, I can't explain it. I know that the whole point, I know that certain actors dress with their own clothes and, you know, try to make them look as, as plain and as ordinary and as everyday as possible. But it seems like someone went out of their way to Steve, to give Steve Carell bad hair. He's just a, had a terrible like brush up. Um, and yeah, I don't know why, you know, he was losing hair in season one. And then eventually as he got older, I guess, and richer, his hair started to look better and now he looks great. So I think, I think what it was is in the a pilot episode, in the early episodes, he slicks his hair back. Right. And slicking your hair back on, on uh, TV or in movies is like the universal sign for this is like secretly, or we're going to figure out eventually this is like kind of a sleazy guy. Right. And, and I, I, I would, I think that was probably like the early intentions. We're going to give him like 5% sleaziness or something like that. And then Steve Carell gets in there and he starts doing his whole Steve Carell thing. And he's just so undeniably lovable and likable and sweet that they're like, this hair doesn't fit anymore where they lose the product. They start brushing it to the side, which is like a much more wholesome haircut. And then, yeah, once he starts you know, getting a little more popular, a little richer, his hair starts filling in uh, <laughs> magically as a, tends to happen when you get a lot of money but uh, that's my like that's my theory on why his hair looks like that in the beginning but then a few episodes later they're like this is no this doesn't fit who he is and and that's why and i'm not sure if you've seen i'm going off on a tangent here if you've seen the morning show um which was this you know big um you know i i guess uh drama venture that mm -hmm. steve carell went on with jennifer anderson 
and Reese Witherspoon. Great show. I mean, the, the acting on that show just that's just top notch. But and I hate to spoil it for people here. So if you haven't watched the morning show, well, skip ahead for the next thirty seconds. He turns out to be um, like uh, allegedly at the start a sex offender or someone who has uh, workplace harassment charges placed against him. And I can't buy it. I can't buy it. I, I love him. He looks great. I know they make the effort to kind of make him look super attractive, really sexy, kind of really believable. He's this hotshot who could flirt with interns and stuff like that. But to me, it's Michael Scott. There's no way he would do this. And even at the end, when they had all the evidence up against him, I was like, no, no, it's Mike. It's Mike Scott. You know what's interesting about that is if you uh, you already watched The Office and there are dozens of times where he sexually harasses somebody. Right. Like it makes it makes absolute sense that he would have in another show finally gotten like uh, the allegations would have finally come up. We see it a ton of times in The Office, but again, he's just so sweet that your brain sort of blocks it out despite all the evidence to the fact, like he tried to like, he tried to kiss Pam. Like that's like a, an offense. He brought in the the uh, the sex doll to work. Like he's doing. Like, he says a ton of things that. That's he, what she said. Is just like all over this. That's thing. like his whole his whole thing is like he's sort of accidentally on purpose doing like things that would cause those allegations. And here you are saying, I don't believe it. I don't believe it, even though you watched it happen. I'm 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 a stereotype. That's me. I'm I'm what's wrong with society right now. Uh, there's there's a scene in the pilot where he puts a ruler over his lip, and he starts doing like a a Nazi march, and he's like, "I'm Hitler, Adolf Hitler," yeah. Yeah. and I saw that, and I was like, hmm. "Hmm, maybe they shouldn't have put that one up. Maybe they should have cut that before they put that up on streaming." Um, the next test should be easy to answer. It's the "How I Met Your Mother" test. Is this, uh, is this an original concept or just a version of something else? Um, I mean, obviously, a, a lot of the flack that The Office received initially was because it was too close to, to the British version. Mm -hmm. I like the American version better than the British version. 100%. Um, I tried watching yeah. the British version. I'm like, oh, it's not for me. Yeah, I watched it afterward, and I was like, I'm, Ricky Gervais is fine. But I was like, that's their Dwight, that's their right. Pam, that's their Pam. Like, no, thanks. I'm out. I'm out. It's fine. It's fine. But because I, because I came to the American one first, that's the one I like the most. You're going to like this one. The third test, and I, I could have actually named this after you, but I thought I'd stay true to, to the theme. The third is the Fast and Furious test. Did this show end the same way as it started? For background. Fast and Furious started out as a niche drag racing movie about stealing DVDs and minor misdemeanors like that. And now it's about people saving the world from total mm -hmm. chaos and destruction. Um, so did, did the office start out the way it eventually ended? It, yeah, it ends the same way that it starts. It's still set in the office. It's largely the same group of people. There, certain characters are moving on, but for the most part, we, we're still in Scranton and we're still selling paper and Dwight is still Dwight, and Jim is still Jim, and Pam is still Pam, yeah. Speaking of, how many more Fast and Furious movies are they going to do before you're like, all right, okay, maybe that's enough, guys? You could make 30 of them, and I would watch all 30 <laughs> of them. They're so, I, I love them. They're so much fun. Why would you not want to go to the movies and watch a Fast and the Furious? That's the whole point of a movie theater, is to watch a 90-foot streetcar jump onto a fucking submarine uh, while The Rock is like, 
punching a dinosaur or whatever. Like, just keep getting more and more ridiculous. This is the whole reason I go to movies. As an Asian, Han coming back to life, though, however, not that I was ever out, but I am fully in. I'm like, oh, wait, I'm represented again? I was fucking I am pumped in. when that happened. When, when they show, so they show the trailer for Fast 9, and he comes in at the very end of the trailer. That's like the kicker. And Letty comes walking in, and she's got like that smirk on her face or whatever. One of the few times you see her smiling. Right. And then, and then here comes Han right behind him eating his stuff. Eating, like, yeah. like, like everything. And I was like, holy fucking shit. He's back. He, like, I don't care how they explain it. I do not care one single bit. They had a funeral for him. We like saw the explosion. Who was in the casket? I don't know. I don't care about any of that. I'm so glad that Han is back. Just an incredible character. When, when, when people kept poking holes and people at your workplace kept poking holes at the fact that they're like, oh, how come they just all of a sudden just forgive Shaw for killing Han? Um, yeah. And I'm like, just, just, just shut up. Just let it go. It's La Familia. They did a toast. They, they drank a Corona. It's all good now. It's all good. Um, but now, now Han is back. And now, I mean, with all due respect, he's, he's, he's a personal hero of mine. But Bill Simmons can now be quiet about that argument. Han never died. Now that so that's like a, I mean that's a valid point. Jen Yamato, one of my favorite writers, she's at the L.A. Times. Um, she's been on this on this for since the beginning. Like you know the whole justice for, for Han thing. Like it makes sense that they like they should not have brought him in, just that quick. I, that's that's the one like storyline I'm the most curious to see is, how do they explain, how do they make this like relationship okay? You know you know what I'm saying like. I don't know. There's like a ton of different ways you can go with this stuff. And I'm so sad that they pushed the movie back a year. We should have watched it already. We should have had the answers to all of these questions already. But fucking, we don't. I mean, I was, I was, a little, I was more hyped for it than The Last Dance. I was like, just, just tell me. If, if, they, if they do go say, um, hey, hon, I thought you were dead. And they were like, nah, been alive all this time. And then they just move on. I'd be like, cool. All right. No problem. Let's keep it going. Um, <laughs> Number four, test number four is the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar test. The show eventually ran for, as I said earlier, 201 episodes across nine seasons. Is that too much, not enough, or just right? I think it's not enough. I would watch another three episodes, I mean, three seasons of The Office. There's, there's absolutely an argument to be made that this series should have ended when Steve Carell left CNS. He's the central character. He's the best character. He's like the the most important one, but I think they did a really good job after he left of like continuing everything. And, and it all makes sense because like bosses leave all the time. That's part right. of working in an office. Like that's the other side of the, of the argument there. Um, but yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was great. I would watch put, put whatever season 10 or 11 on the on Netflix right now. And I'll end this interview this instant and go sit down <laughs> and watch it. Don't check your Netflix. They just might. Don't check it. Um, number five is the intangibles test. Is there a small element, a moment, um, a prop, a musical cue, um, or something that stood out to you in the pilot as you were watching it for the first time that kind of got you like, oh, hey, wait, you know what? I really like this. Uh, like, I like the show. I like that joke. Uh, for me, no, only because I, by that point, by the time I watched the pilot, I had already fallen in love with the show i'd watched it enough times to know that i liked it right so so it it was you know it was different for me um i the the pilot is great uh but there was like i wasn't looking for that specific moment like you might in 
like I recently watched this TV show uh, on Netflix called Never Have I Ever. Right. And, and there's, a, there's a part in there in like the second or third episode where the main star, she makes a joke. She makes a very specific kind of joke. And when she made that joke, I was like, oh, okay, I'm in on this show. I like this show. I think it's going to be really smart and really, really clever. Like that happens when you watch a show for the first time. But because I had already seen, you know, the last five seasons of the show, I didn't need it in this one. You know, one thing I did notice when, when I rewatched the episode to get ready for this is, is like a, a whole long storyline in this thing is like Jim pulling pranks on Dwight. On Dwight, like, yeah. That, that's like a whole thing. And then we see it in the pilot episode when he does like the Jello thing. Um, but when you rewatch it, I, I realize you realize he's not the first person to pull a prank. Dwight is the first one to do it. He does the thing where he taps Jim on the shoulder and then comes on the other side and is right. like, aha, like I got you or whatever. Now, we, they, they use language later in the show that let us know Jim has pulled pranks previously. Like when they, he, Dwight finds a jello thing, he's like, oh, he did it again. So, you know, this has happened before. But the first prank that we see pulled is Dwight on Jim, which sort of tilts that domino, tips that domino. and Justifies it. Going forward, yeah, I think so. I think so. My my expert research um, has has dug up that it is estimated that Jim uh, would have spent anywhere between seven thousand to ten thousand dollars just on pranks on Dwight alone in the entire nine season run. I think that that's money right. well spent. Yeah, over a decade, absolutely, absolutely. It sounds like a lot all at once, but this is you know ten, twelve years, fifteen years, or whatever whatever it was. That's an, that's, that's a valid investment. There's been like this recent push in the last couple of years of like, actually Jim was a jerk. Actually Pam is terrible. And it's so fucking stupid. It's so oh, stupid. I, oh, there, there are I found people on the internet um, a few years ago that said that Jim should have wound up with Karen. And yeah. I, 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 I don't get into the habit of blocking a lot of people, at least, especially <laughs> not then. But I was like, I, I think honest to God, that might be my first block. And it was someone I went to high school with. It was otherwise a cool guy. But I was like, yeah. I posted, I posted a, a screenshot of, of just Jim and Pam. I was watching it. And then he said, should have ended up with Karen, though. And I've never yeah. felt so physically, like, insulted <laughs> in my life. Like, I felt like his insult hurt me physically. And I was like, I, I can't with you. You shouldn't be on the internet. Yeah, that's, that's part of it. And, and that sort of stuff bothered me a lot, too, until I realized that people on the internet will get mad about anything, anything. I'm like, oh, man, it sure is shitty that they put kids in cages and people are like, well, actually, their parents should have followed. The, it's like, you're, you, like, you can make this a thing to be mad at. I understand why you were like, not like Jim or whatever. You're just a bad person. There are just bad people out there. I think the, the, <laughs> the sooner we accept that. Um, all right. The next test is the slow burn test. Um, uh, again, this is a little different for you and I because the pilot isn't the first episode of it that we've seen. But if you just sold someone else who hadn't seen the show at all and they had to start by watching the pilot, is it enough of a recommendation? So this is also known as the Breaking Bad um, test where anytime anyone endorses Breaking Bad, they always say, hey, just get through the first few episodes because those are kind of yeah, yeah, slow, yeah. but it mm -hmm. builds up. Do you have to say that about The Office? You don't have to say that about The Office, no, because they had already nailed the humor immediately. They're like, okay, this is, this is the kind, these are the kind of jokes that Steve Carell is going to tell, but actually he's like the butt of the joke and everybody is sort of 
not disgusted by them, but like a little more than ambivalent toward him. They, they nailed all of that. Yeah. The breaking bad thing is exactly correct. I remember watching that show and being like, I don't get it. Cause I, that right. was one. I was late I to that. I didn't start watching it until it was like season five and everybody was going fucking nuts for this show. And I was like, why is everybody talking about this? Let me watch it. My dad had tried to get me to watch it for like years. And I finally, it was on Netflix. I sat down, I watched episode one and I was like, nah, episode two. Nah, it wasn't until the, have you, have you watched this whole thing now? Right. Yes, I have. Okay. It wasn't until the one where he has the guy in his basement, in the basement. With, the bike, with the bike chain around his neck. And he, and he gathers like the pieces of the plate after he drops it, after he falls. Right. He throws them away. And then you see him go back to the plate, to the trash, take the plate pieces out, put it together. And he realizes he's missing a shard mm-hmm. and that now he has to kill that guy. Like when that happened, that's like your thing earlier about your like aha moment where you watch it and you go like, oh, this show is going to end up being smarter than like every other show on TV right now, probably. And, and, and you know, that's what it, it proved to be. Same thing with uh, The Wire. The Wire was one that got there really, really fast when you're like, mm-hmm. oh shit, this is like nothing I've, I've seen before. But yeah, with The Office, you, need, you only need that first episode. And, and like, if you like that first one, then you're going to like all the rest of them. So the plate shard, the plate shard scene in Breaking Bad, I'm sure we'll do a Breaking Bad episode uh, on, on this podcast eventually. But that plate shard scene, I was impressed by it. And I was like, you know, okay, this is, this is about to be a ride. But I was also, um, I also felt disappointed in myself when, when I realized that because I think a lot of the times, whether, whether the protagonist is a good guy or a total scumbag, we... I guess human nature is you kind of identify yourself with, with that person. So you're watching this and you're thinking to yourself, you're, you're either, you're either Jesse or you're Walter. Right. Um, and up until that point, I, you know, I, I've never done all the drugs that Jesse had done. So I was like, oh, I guess I can relate more with Walter. And that's when I realized, wait, I'm not smart enough to realize that I would have never gone into the garbage to put together the plate. I would have never thought of that. And that's when I realized I'm not cut out for that stuff. And even a chemistry teacher who looked like the most boring person in the world, he's a hundred times smarter, more cunning and tougher than I am. Because if that were me, like guy with the bike chain would have killed me right away. Instantly. You would have died in that episode. You would not have made it out of season one. (laughs) Episode episode four, I'd be done. Quick time out. We'll be coming back to our interview with Shea Serrano in just a moment, but I want to thank the amigo, Toby from HR, for making every episode of the Call to Arms podcast possible. Original art is by Alan Martin, Double T himself, and original music is a track called Tropical Vikings by Careless Music Manila. Shout out Brett Jackson, King Wow. Appreciate you guys and appreciate everyone who's been tuning in and supporting the podcast and listening every single week. We invite you to follow us on social media. It's at Call to Arms Pod, or you can email us your questions, your comments, your suggestions. We'll do a mailbag episode pretty soon, so please make sure to send them over to Call to Arms Mailbag at gmail.com, or you can send us a voice note over Instagram DM so we can play them during the episode. Cool? All right, back with Shay Serrano. Um. The next test is the weak link test. Um, Which actor in the pilot went against weak competition in the audition stage? This one's a little unique as as well because of the casting choices they made on The Office. But was there anyone who you felt was like, oh, we could have done better in the casting of that show? I don't think so. Probably because I've, at this point, have seen all 200 episodes 
multiple times. I'm so used to seeing each person in their particular role. I couldn't imagine somebody else doing a thing. Like you can go on YouTube and watch videos of certain people auditioning for certain parts and it's right. like, this doesn't look right at all. So it's hard to, it's hard to look at it right now and go, this person would have been better because they were all like the, the principal cast, they ended up all being just knockout. You can maybe pick some of the other ones that like don't get a lot of camera time or they just show them briefly in the background or the guy who gets fired during the <laughs> Halloween yeah. episode. Like you can you pick one of those people, but none of the main ones, there's no like, there's no better Ryan. There's no better Kelly. There's no better Toby. There's no better Jim or Pam or, 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 or Dwight or Michael. So, so that gets me to, to the casting um, research. So one of the first things that I um, eventually found out when preparing for this was the fiance told me that Phyllis was part of the casting team of the show yeah, she was doing lines with everybody and eventually they wrote a role for her and they put her on the show. Um, the biggest one is NBC programmer Kevin Riley had originally suggested that Paul Giamatti play the role of Michael Scott. Mm-hmm. That would have been odd. Um, he that said no. A bust, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he's, billions is a way better choice for him. Yeah. Um, Martin Short, Hank Azaria, and Bob Odenkirk, who who we all love also reported to be interested before eventually went to Steve Carell. Bob Odenkirk is the one guy who you, if you squint your eyes enough, you can see him in that role mostly because they put him in that role later on in later the show on. with, uh, you know, when he's going to be Pam's boss at the new place. That's it. That's probably the, the only reason why, but Steve Carell, Steve Carell can get to that sort of emotional peak that uh, some of the other actors you mentioned, can't quite get there at least not in a way that's as effective like when you when his eyes start tearing up you just oh i'm just like feel it you feel it there's nothing you could do he's just so good at that like particular thing i can't i couldn't see paul giamatti doing that you know know, i need him i need him as chuck rhodes and billions like blustering around yeah, I'm, I'm I'm so conditioned now to him being Chuck Rhodes that if he even just as as a like as a joke at a Christmas party somewhere tried to like do a Michael Scott bit, I would probably have to turn away. I'd be like, no, I can't see this. I rewatched uh, Sideways like two weeks ago, and I oh, was it's like, great. oh man, you, you like this is not how Chuck behaves at all. We need Chuck in here right yeah. now. Chuck, <laughs> this whole movie is different if Chuck is in here. Um. Steve Carell almost didn't even sign on to play um, the, the lead role in The Office because he was already committed to another NBC show at that time. Fortunately, it was canceled. I wonder why. It was called Come to Papa. Good choice, I Steve Carell. That, sound, that sounds bad. I, I, wonder, I always wonder about when an actor does a role like this, something that sort of defines their career forever would they take it back if they could like you know he's gone on to become a movie star right and done done other things i always wonder like if he could erase that would he erase that same with with uh john krasinski you watch him in you know jack ryan show or or like a quiet place or 13 hours and you're like oh it's it's jim like that it just feels like automatically jim to me i wonder do they like it or do they not like it i know zach braff talked about it with his character from scrubs and he said he loves he loves that people identify all the time. I wonder if everybody feels that way. That's like a, an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, you know, especially if, you know, you, you start off at a young age to so like, you look at the Harry Potter kids, 
and you know all the best of luck to them they're a lot they're really talented but i mean hermione's hermione to me forever i mean she could well i guess robert panson and twilight's going to be batman now so i guess that's where our our theory kind of gets thrown into a loop yeah i wonder if it's like a it's probably like a generational thing because like like when I see Robert Pattinson, his Twilight character is the first one I think of because that was the first time I really saw him in like a right. starring thing. But when my sons go, we go watch a new Batman movie, like he's going to be Batman first to them. And then if they watch Twilight, they're like, oh, wow, he was also a vampire or whatever. And, and, probably, and, yeah. And that's going to be strange. And that's going to be, um, I'm hoping not, but that's going to be a source of frustration between you and your children because, you know, to, to them, he's, he's always going to be Batman and you're just trying to, you know, bring back the Twilight days and, and they're going to go against it and they're going to be like, no, don't ruin mm-hmm. him for me. I only say this because of arguments I've had with my father about a particular Mr. George Clooney, who when I was, when I was of a particular age, the, the Batman, Batman and Robin franchise came out and he was Batman. So he was really, truly my first Batman because when I was a kid, I didn't remember, you know, all the other ones. I don't remember Val Kilmer, but Anytime I saw George Clooney, I'd say, it's Batman. And my dad would be like, no, that's George Clooney. He's also from this and this and this. And I'd be like, no, just be quiet. He's my Batman. Just yeah, a, a thing like that happened at our house with Robert De Niro. When like, <laughs> like I, was, I was watching TV and it was like a, I think it was like Meet the Parents or something was on. And one of the boys came, uh, the youngest one. And he was like, oh, daddy, is that the, that's the guy from... Uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle in that movie and I was like no that's the guy that's not the guy from Rocky and Bullwinkle that's the guy from Casino and Goodfellas and Taxi Driver like Godfather 2 and he was like I don't know any of those movies I only know Rocky and Bullwinkle I'm like oh okay awesome 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 all right and I I thought he was going to go with meet the parents which would have been bad enough but no apparently Rocky and Bullwinkle rules the Serrano household other um Casting research, Angela Kinsey, who eventually played Angela, originally auditioned for the role of Pam. Um, Rain Wilson, Dwight, uh, originally auditioned for the role of Michael Scott. Um, And John Krasinski, they actually wouldn't let him audition for Jim. I'm not sure if you know this. He wanted to audition for Jim. They said, nah, no, we, we see you as Dwight. Just audition for the role of Dwight. So he came in for audition to be Dwight. And then until they cast Rain Wilson as Dwight um, and they kind of closed the chapter on that, that's when they said, all right, okay, we'll, we'll take a look at you as Jim. I did not know that. But Dwight, I mean, uh, Rain Wilson auditioning for the role of Michael Scott makes like so much sense in like a, <laughs> a, a circular sort of universal way. Uh, yeah, it's perfect because he always wanted to be regional manager. The next test is the overqualified test. Is there an actor on on the show, specifically in the pilot, that's way too good, way too be way too talented to be on this show? No, I don't think so. I I, I think like they were all at such early parts of their career that you never got that sense from when. Like if you watch what was that show that Julia Roberts was on on Amazon? Uh, you, like you watch that show and you're like, eh. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this because she had already been like the biggest star in the world through the right. 90s or something. Uh, but with, the, with these characters, no, this was like how they all became their most famous version of famous. The ninth test is the budget test. Which department did they overspend or underspend on? Oh, I don't know. You, you, yeah. <laughs> Everything? <laughs> you are like, how many fucking tests is this thing? Because we are veering into like crazy 
we're well, talking I, about budgets now. I've never been asked about a budget on a podcast before in my life. <laughs> I would vote they, they spent the exact right amount of money on whatever this thing costs. I think eventually when they were raking in the big ratings and the, the big ads, I'm sure NBC was extremely pleased with, with The Office because whatever they wound up having to pay Steve Carell or some of the big stars, they saved on set design, they saved on costume spent zero money on special effects or any of that. I think they did, I think they did a great job. The real life accountants who you can see in, in episode one did a great job on here. Um, we kind of touched on this a little bit so we can skip through it. Uh, the Katie Holmes test, did it launch anyone to stardom? And did the right person from this show launch to stardom? Is there anyone on here you feel like, you know what, I thought that person was really gonna be like super A-list um, after you know, being on The Office? I don't think so. All of the ones who I like my favorite ones on the show went on to do other cool stuff. I think maybe the one who didn't get a fair shake was Pam Beasley. I think Jenna Fisher is in, is incredible in this role. I don't, I can't think of like two other actors who could have done it as well as she did it. And she's just able to hit like all of these different parts of the spectrum and I don't know, it would have been cool to see her in, in a movie, like in a starring role, in a dramatic thing it, before anything else. I would, you know, I would have liked to have seen her flex that muscle on a, on a bigger scale. She's I thought so she good. was going to be the next Julia Roberts. I was, I was ready for it. She was in Blades of Glory um, in, in mm-hmm. a movie. And I was like, okay, that's a comedy. Next up is either a rom-com or she's, you know, you know she, she's going to be like, one of the nurses on a Pearl Harbor type movie. And I was like, let's make it happen. Jenna Fisher, let's go. I did not see John Krasinski becoming pretty much the Hulk. I mean, he's a big guy that he has that in his favor. He's like six something um, and he can grow a beard. And that's really all you need to be like a, <laughs> a, tough, a tough action action star. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why there was never, there should have at the very least been a Jenna Fisher rom-com at the very right? least. Oh, like that's ho- like the whole thing of the office uh, is is that part of it but beyond that i think i think you put her in some like in in a movie where she's working a job that she doesn't really like and she's like con- she's going through some sort of existential crisis that she has to like work her way through and there's a you know a big flourish at the end like i think she would have really been great in something like that and maybe she still still gets that role uh, eventually but she's she's the the only one kayling who is i mean kelly's character mini kayling is she went on to do a bunch of of, of really cool stuff she's one of my favorites i think she's like line for line the funniest person in the show john krasinski went on to do his thing steve carell is doing all of his stuff uh dwight rain wilson he was in the meg so i'll take I'll take (laughs) i'll take what i can get there yeah by, by the way, if anyone wants to comment on here and say we wasted time talking about the Meg again, you get on the other side of the internet. You're you're, you're not there. The, Me- the Meg is a perfect movie. Don't talk to me. Um, here's here's a little something for you. You might have known this already. You know more about The Office than anyone else. But um, here's something just to kind of reinforce that point of um, Jenna Fisher would have been just the perfect rom com um, superstar. Here's a short story from when they were auditioning to get the roles of Jim and Pam. So in the process, they were partnering different PAMs with different gyms, four PAMs and four gyms, and they were mixing them up together just to gauge chemistry. Um, When Jenna Fisher finished her scene with John Krasinski, he told her that she was his favorite PAM, to which he reciprocated saying that, you know, she said, well, you know, 
you've been my favorite gym also. So as soon as I read that, I was like all, all the butterflies in the stomach and everywhere, they started flapping. I was like, oh, I love that story. And I thought it couldn't get any better. And then I, I, I came across this story when John Krasinski got the role of Jim and they told him that, hey, congratulations, you got this role. The first thing he asked the casting director was, did Jenna get the role of Pam? And when Jenna got the job, the first thing that she asked was if John Krasinski got the role of Jim. All of that could be 100% just total PR and just absolute lies, but not for me. Yeah, I believe it. I'm with you on that one. They're, they're so good together from the start. It's just great. There's, a, there's like a really underrated moment when uh, Pam, I mean, not when Pam, when Jim and Roy are talking to each other. And this is after, after the office has found out that Jim had a crush on Pam. Right. And Roy is like, hey, I, you know, it's fine, whatever. Like, I know that was a long time ago. I'm, just, I'm glad she has a friend that she can, like, you know, I, I don't want her to come home. And she's just like, bap, 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 bap. And Jim, like, just sort of under his breath says, yeah, I like talking to her, too. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a sweet, tender moment uh, representative of the sort of relationship that him and Pam would, would go on to have. They're, they're perfect. They're perfect together. There's, there's no English translation for the Filipino word kilig. Um, uh, I guess closest to it is if, yeah, you get butterflies in your stomach or if something really romantic happens to you and you kind of blush and, you know, if you're watching a show, you're squeezing a a pillow a little tighter or you giggle a little bit under your breath. All of those are kind of combined in that Filipino word, kilig. Um, and I've never felt that watching anything else with anyone else than with just like some random moment so when when Dwight opens up his 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 drawer and he pulls out the stapler um in the jello and then from afar Uh like Jenna Fisher just kind of like yells and then catches it and then is laughing um and then you kind of see you know John Krasinski kind of give her like a quick look because he's not pranking Dwight to prank Dwight he's just doing this to make her laugh and eventually you realize that and as I watched that, like minutes before we did the podcast, I watched it again. I paused it at that moment because I felt like I was going to rip through the pillow that I was holding because I was like, <laughs> couldn't handle it. Could not handle it. <laughs> yeah, they are, they are. They've got to be in the top three or four of like all-time TV couples. It's them. It's Turk and Carla from Scrubs. And then I don't know who your third and fourth place finishers are, but like those are the It's Jim and two. Pam again. They, yeah. just, they just go back. Um, we, we can breeze through some of these other tests. Uh, the Daenerys Targaryen, Queen of the Andals, and the Freeman titles, titles, titles test. Did your first impression of a character change from pilot to finale? No, they were, they were all about the same. I felt the same with, with every single one of them by the time it was over. The character draft test. Draft a character and assign them a role in your real life. Uh, I would like to... I would like to be friends with Dwight Schrute. Dwight Schrute. I have, I have like this profound appreciation now that I am an adult and a father and a husband. I have this profound appreciation for characters in TV shows who get shit done, who do what they're supposed <laughs> to do. Dwight Schrute is going to come to work. He's going to do his job and he's going to go on about his day. Like that's all he's interested in is being the best version of a salesman that he can be. So characters like him or, or what's his name? Jared from, from Silicon Valley uh-huh. or, 
or Joan from Mad Men. Like the characters today go, I don't know how this thing works. Give it to this person and they'll do it. Uh, I, I, I need that in my life. I need somebody who I know is going to do what needs to get done. So if I'm picking one person from the office that I want to be around, Dwight is my first pick because he is going to get that shit done. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's, that's, that's a curveball. Um, you know, it, it kind of speaks to him in the pilot going downsizing. I've been talking about downsizing since I got here. I said it in my mm -hmm. interview. He's so confident. Yeah. <laughs> and eventually you find out he's this incredible salesman. He's incredible. He's like, a, he, he won salesman of the, of the uh, month or years, like so many times. Like he's the fucking, he's the man at the, at that office. When it comes to just raw numbers, nobody is outselling Dwight. He beat the computer. He beat the internet. <laughs> the one the person who beat the internet. I love it. Um, the Twitter test. Um, the, I, I know this came out in 2005, you know, way before the Twitter boom, but now you can't launch a pilot of a TV show without, you know, gifs and memes of it coming out and people talking about a specific moment and you know that kind of just you know takes over the internet for a hot second does the pilot have a hit pause moment or a tweetable line or uh, a moment where you point at it and go yep well that's going to be a gif or that's going to be a meme uh i i don't know i'm totally thrown off because i pronounce it gif or gif I, i'm still so. not sure <laughs> i no, i think that's the wrong way gif but i've been saying it that way my whole life so that's just how i, I feel the I, exact I'm, same way about gif yeah so i'm convinced that that's the wrong way but i'm just a, a old dog can't can't teach me a new trick yeah I'm, I'm right there with you no i don't know i don't know what one moment you have maybe it's the one you were talking about where where uh, pam laughs at the at the thing because that's yeah, like that, a fun conversation to have is when you go like he wasn't doing this just to mess with dwight he was trying to impress Pam. And those are two totally, totally different things. That's me. Second to the last test is uh, the, the Mission Impossible test. Could this TV show do as well as a movie? No. It needs to be a TV show because you need, you need 25 episodes before you can have like a big emotional gut punch. I, like, I, I can't. You know what I'm saying? We, you can't go straight into like the, the scene where Jim kisses Pam and then she like turns him down. Like you can't, you can't have that in a movie. I don't think you need that sort of long buildup. I, I can't even imagine this, you know, like every episode is like 25 minutes long. I can't even imagine this being like a 45 minute or one hour type show. I feel like, I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to say now cause you can binge watch all of them. You can watch seven episodes at a time, but I remember having to wait for it week by week. Um, and kind of feeling bad back then that it was so short, but I feel like it's perfectly timed now as a 25 half hour show. Um, the yeah. championship, the championship belt test, um, is after watching the pilot again to prepare for this podcast, did you feel any desire to re-binge the whole series or to continue watching, um, season one, episode two and onwards? Yeah, I absolutely have. I'm on season three right now. After <laughs> I got, I got your message about it. We were going to do this last week. I, I rewatched the pilot. And I was like, I guess I'll watch episode two. And then I was like, I guess I need to finish. You know, the first season is only a couple episodes. And I was like, well, I mean, I have to get to the basketball episode now. Right. And, oh, I, I, now I got to get, you know, I'm like chasing down certain moments. So, yeah, I'm in the middle of another, another rewatch. Thanks to you. Um, b before we go, I, I want to, I just want to read to you. I'm sure you get a lot of these interview requests all the time, all the time. And, uh, you know, you famously try to do as many of them as, as you can, but I just want to tell you how, I just want to tell everybody how I got you to agree to this one. Here's my message to you word for word. 
Hey Shay, I hope all is well with you and the family. My name is Nico. More importantly, I am a huge Office fan and the producer of the podcast hates it and all caps is actually named Toby. That being said, I'd love to have you on the podcast because you're an incredible writer, FOH Army general and role model, but mostly because it'll annoy the hell out of Toby, the producer, if we talk about the office on the pod. Please let me ruin his day. It would be a service to the planet. This is the point in the podcast where Toby makes himself seen on the Zoom and you have to admit to your sins. Um, so, so that's Toby right now. And, What's up, uh, Toby? He's Toby actually and- named Toby. Toby Amigo, that's a fucking incredible name. Yep, I know. You should, yep. you should be the host of this podcast. <laughs> Nico Ramos is like a producer name. Tony Amigo is like the star of an action movie. I mean, Toby, Toby Amigo. Toby Amigo. <laughs> yeah, except just like um, Toby Flenderson, he has many times um, whispered and shouted and uttered the words, I don't get it. What's so funny anytime I bring up <laughs> That's fair. I really that's don't, fair. Shay. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's fair. That's like a thing, like probably 40% of the people who watch it go like, I don't, this is not for me, which I feel the same way about other TV shows that some people love. It's probably, Toby, what, what TV shows do you like so I can like shit on one of your favorites? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Breaking Bad, Mad Men, The Good, you can't shit on those. I can shit on Mad Men. I didn't like Mad Men. I what? Guess, it's fine. It's fine. I get it. But, like, nothing happens in the show <laughs> for, like, five seasons. Like, I just kept waiting <laughs> for a thing to happen. And it's just not that, it's not that much fun to watch. You know what's, you know what's, what's, one of the things that's sucky to me about Mad Men, and I understand this, going into it, I understand this. But, like, watch the show and just, like, find a Mexican in it. Find a Filipino in it. Like, find, <laughs> find one of us in the show. It doesn't happen until, like, season four. And there's like a maid or something where there's a Mexican character in the show. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> like I gotta, you know, I've, I've had my feel of just like watching nine white men sit in a room and like talk to each other. Like, okay, cool. I get it. And with The Office, yeah, I got Oscar, baby. I got Oscar. <laughs> I'm straight. I'm ready. I'm in. <laughs> we, we, we pretty much have Oscar too. I mean, look at our last names. Ramos, Amigo. Um, yeah, we, we, we'll we, take him. This is family right here. Um, we're all in the same here, here's my problem with madman now this is a madman episode but madman's one of those shows or movies that you get in trouble with because the guy in the show gets you in trouble with your wife or your girlfriend or your fiance because he seems like you know a great dad at home a great partner but then when he's off you know at work he's sleeping with all these different women and it gets to a point where your partner just kind of looks at you <laughs> And then just asks you, you don't do that shit when you're alone, right? And I'm like, why am I getting in trouble? Because Don Draper is a scumbag. Like, no. Here's here's like how you argue against that is you go like, I do not look like Don Draper. (laughs) (laughs) You like Don Draper to live. He just walks into a bar and everybody's falling all over him. I don't don't look like that. That doesn't happen with me. You you say that and and, and that's a wrap. Um, But... (laughs) But Shay, we, we appreciate you. We appreciate you taking the time. Um, I, I know you're, you're incredibly busy and you have all these requests coming at you from all angles. And you actually indulge a couple of kids here in the Philippines to talk about a sitcom for an hour. And um, it's, it, it's, it's really something that we, 
hold very important dear to our hearts. I, I will say this very last thing though. Um, and Toby told me, don't say it. He's like, don't say it because you know, the interview is going to end well. And I was like, maybe I'll say it in the end. He's like, don't. Um, but when, when you were, when you were promoting, look at him just shaking his head, just disappointed, just disappointed that I'm saying it. When you were promoting movies and other things, you were like, um, hey, first 50 people to pre-order right now, I'll, I'll ship a bookmark to. And I was like, cool, done. So I, I, I log in, I pre-order it, and then I sent you the tweet. I was like, hey, Shay, like I, you know, I did it in my part of the first 50. You shoot me an email, and I'm jumping out my seat. I was like, yo, Shay Serrano's in my email inbox. And you were like, <laughs> yo, homie, congratulations. You're one of the first 50. Send me your address. Send you a bookmark. Toby told me not to say this, but I will. No bookmark, man. I can't control what the mail does. We send them out. <laughs> That's like it. They got to cross the whole ocean to get over to you. There's no telling what happened in, in that time. All I know is we mail them out. Who knows what happens after that? Hey, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's appreciated. And I, I told you, Toby, he, he wouldn't hang up on us, at least not immediately if I told that story. But, but, but Shay, again, all, all our love to the family. You do, you, you do great work and you represent so many of us. Uh, and we're all so incredibly proud of you, as you said. We, we, we all treat you like family. You're, you're the big cousin we all wish we had. All right, Nico, Toby, be, be safe. Thanks, man. I want a million lives. I want a billion profits when all that I got is a villainous mind. I keep a real in the pocket while you hear the venomous lies. I do not speak like a prophet because I got a million styles. Let's see what's really inside. Pulling over in the whip. Flying out another trip.